are very excited to be joined this week on the Empire Podcast by David Austin, OBE, the assistant director of the BBFC. He's rolled his eyes at the OBE bit, but it's on your card, so I had to say yes, it. it. Um, it's not often we, we have uh, a very uh, uh, film classifier on the Empire Podcast, and uh, we've put out some requests to Empire's Twitter readers to come up with some questions, and we're going to be putting those questions to David, who's kindly agreed to answer them for you and for us. Um, David, welcome. Thanks very much, Phil. Uh, just before we get started, maybe you can, maybe you can just give us your your background. How long have you been with the BBFC for? I joined the BBFC in two thousand and three, so I've been there for ten years. I joined as an examiner, and in common with the most most BBFC examiners, I had a previous career because we watched some quite challenging and, and difficult content from time to time. So the board is looking for people that have got kind of a experience of life and a certain degree of maturity so I was a diplomat for 16 years specialising in conflict resolution including mainly in the Balkans so uh, that's my background. You can cope with the Empire podcast I think. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you again. Um, so first question um, are you looking forward to the Human Centipede 3? This has come from um, Charlie Ward at I Knew the Twist. Very much so. <laughs> yeah looking forward to Tom Six's next uh, epic epic work. Emma Raveston um, at Emma AV, I hope I said that right, asks, what process do you go through when assessing a film? Um, it's kind of a broad question, but maybe helpful if you can just explain, because sure. you obviously came in as an examiner, sure, and yeah. now you are assistant director, so you kind of oversee a team of examiners. Yeah, yeah. If we have a, if it's a film for theatrical release, we classify films on behalf of local authorities, so ultimately they have the final say in what the, what the rating is, but 99.9% .9 of the time they accept our rating. Uh, and uh, we get the film in, we have our own sort of preview theatre at the BBFC. Two examiners, generally, if it's, if, 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 unless we've, we've got an advance warning that's going to be particularly controversial, two examiners will sit down, they'll watch the film from beginning to end, and they have the option of re-watching certain scenes if they, if, if they need to. They will write, each of them write a report... Uh, recommending a particular category. You know, if it's fairly, st if it's straightforward, it'll go through at that category when the seniors and the director uh, approve their recommendation. Sometimes examiners will will split. You know, one will say perhaps a PG, or another will say a 12A. And in that case, um, the film will be referred to a second examining team, maybe the director. And sometimes, in extreme cases, a film like a Serbian film, for instance, it will go to the director and the presidents. How many films do you watch as, a, as someone that does referral screenings? Yeah, I don't watch that many, unfortunately. Uh, I, I mean, I used to spend sort of 300 minutes a day watching films, but now I don't watch that many. I just watch the, the ones that are likely to be controversial. So something like Maniac, for instance, uh, which came in a few weeks ago, I was involved in the, in, the, in the classification decision on that film. But it tends to be the more controversial ones rather than the... When you say 300 minutes a day, do you mean that you arrive at 9 o'clock, by half nine you're watching a film... Uh, is is and then you just keep going. Is that how it works? Yeah, we have a. It's actually in, we actually watch more than three hundred minutes a day now. But when I was in seven, it was three hundred. So you have a you have a you get given a program of of works, and it can be you know you can be in the theatre watching a you know the latest Hollywood blockbuster. What you know for, for the morning, and then in the afternoon you might have some pornography. You might have Dora the Explorer. You know, a mixture of anything. And uh, who decides in what order they are? Because surely you've got to get them in the right order. They're, they're viewed in the order that they're submitted by each customer. So um, if a customer submits on a certain day, they expect to have a decision um, you know, a certain number of days after that. So generally for theatrical releases, we turn around films in, in three days. For video releases, it tends to be seven, seven working days. So yeah, that we, we deal with them in the order that they're submitted by the companies. You mentioned Maniac. That that was uh, classified with no cuts, correct? Which I think people were a little surprised by. It 
didn't, to be honest, it didn't really challenge um, the very top end of, of, of 18, according to what the public's told us is, is acceptable. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of creepy in the sense that you are, you see everything through the eyes of the killer. Um, and we looked very closely at um, our, sort of our strict policy on issues like sexual violence and sadistic violence. But clearly you're not invited to identify with with the killer at all and you, your, your sympathy is always with the victims so we didn't feel there was any harm risk to protect to to viewers um at, at the 18 classification so it was um it was a reasonably straightforward classification i'd like to think you have an alarm at the bbfc where you know if there's a Lars von trier film coming in or maybe a tom six or something you know a big siren goes off and you all kind of run for helmets run and for machine guns and but well, if, if if we do get a film like that where where there's a lot of advanced publicity and and people saying this is you know the most terrifying film ever made or the most violent film ever made, you know we we pick up on that and we will rather than have just a regular two examiners viewing, then we'll have more people viewing. So you are kind of influenced by what the press is saying or what the the pre advanced word is on a film. We're influenced by you know yeah the, if if the if, if the advanced word is this is really really difficult and challenging, then the likelihood is that it won't be just the regular team of two examiners. It'll be, you know, I may well be involved and the director may be involved when it comes through the door for that very first screening. Um, I'm going to ask a basic crude question. You're watching in pairs. Does it occasionally when you're watching, be it pornography or incredibly hard violence, uncomfortable or awkward? I know you're professionals, but surely there must be points where you go, this is just so grim, I have to stop and get a glass of water or, or is it just you get used to it? There have been times on occasion where I've... Um, I mean, we review in pairs for theatrical release. We review, generally review solo for, for, for video release. But there have been occasions where um, I've needed to stop watching something because it's been grim and gone for a walk around Soho Square to get some fresh air and then come back to it. And uh, <coughs> I know other colleagues have experienced the same thing. But by and large, we, d- we don't get that kind of work that often. OK. And a, a curiosity question as well is that sometimes there's a recent spate of having credit stings and sneaking things in at the end. Has that ever caught anyone out? It hasn't, because if we get a film without the ending credits, uh, we, 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 we will ask the company, is that the version that you're going to release to on, on video or to cinemas? And if they confirm that, yes, it is, and it's not going to have any closing credits, then you know, we take their word for it. If, if they say, no, you know, there will be credits, we, we have to see them. Because it can affect the classification. We had um, Children of Men where over the closing credits there was a song by, um, what's the band, um, the chap that had a go at Michael Jackson at the Brits, Pulp. Jarvis Cocker. Yeah, Jarvis Cocker. Um, and um, the song was Cunt'll Rule the World, or Cunt'll <laughs> Still Rule the World, and it had repeated use of the C word. So it was an issue that we had to consider in relation to the class- classification of the film, because the public tells us time and again that they find that word particularly offensive, and we need to take account of it in our classification decisions. In fact, when we had um, the extended version of one of the Lord of the Rings films, the closing credits were <laughs> interminable. But we have to, yeah, watch them, <laughs> listen to any any dialogue or anything like that. Any elf, any uh, dwarfish songs or you know, strumming. Um, Luckily, they were unproblematic, <laughs> but they're not always. Well, look, let's plunge into some of the specific questions that, that have come through on Twitter, um, starting with a, a, a couple of recent ones, one of which is a lot of people were interested in, which was the latest Die Hard film. This one is from Out, at Out of the Canon. Um, it wants to know why Stoker was an 18 when it had, I think, one piece of strong violence, whilst Die Hard 5 was a 12A, and I think the point with that is that he felt that the violence was blasé, um, the way it was p- depicted. 
Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk 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 on that? Yeah. Well, I should if, I, certainly I'll do that. I'll, if I can just take a step back and and explain how we get the classification rate. You know, tw- how we determine what's a twelve A and what's a fifteen, and what's an eighteen. We basically do a big scale public consultation exercise every four years. And we're in the middle of one at the moment, and this time we'll, we'll be talking to around eleven thousand members of the public. And um, you know, many of you listeners, I'm sure, will have contributed to our website questionnaire as part of that research. Uh, so we ask the public what they think is acceptable at different age categories, and we show them full-length features in focus groups, and we ask individuals and households to watch um, films and videos, and then we show them clips, and, and we, get, we, we end up having consulted all these you know, several thousand people. We have a pretty good idea of what they think is acceptable. And the sort of, sort of action violence which lacks sort of bloody detail... Um, in 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 Die Hard is is okay at at twelve A. The public's told us the company that um, submitted Die Hard asked us at the advice stage. We 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 offer a service before films complete, and sometimes we offer it for, we give advice on script as well. Um, so we we got this film in before it was completed, uh, and we told them that if this was going to be the the final version the level of violence and the use of language was going to require it to have a 15 classification now we knew the company wanted a 12a so we advised them on what they needed to reduce in the film to get a 12a so they took out a number of fucks and motherfuckers for instance and they uh, got rid of blood spurts when characters are shot in the head so they toned down the violence to get a to get a 12 that's the sort of and it's fairly standard action violence that you see in the born films at 12 so it's precedented and don't think we've had any complaints about the level of violence. We have some, we've had had some complaints about why did you cut it for 12A. The answer is, you know, a, f- a 15 without cuts was available to the distributor, but the distributor wanted a 12A. So that's that's a, a good day to die hard. Stoker was an 18 um, for uh, a number of issues, but I think probably the strongest sequence was uh, that juxtaposed uh, sex and violence in a way that you know, the public has told us it's uncomfortable with it less less than 18. And this was a sequence in which the female lead character has there's just been an attempted rape on her by this young man and she is in the shower, uh, taking a shower after this and uh, she is masturbating and remembering what happened to her and this young man in the, in the attempted rape scene which involved the fairly graphic murder of the rapist by this young woman's uncle. So you're having a, a young woman masturbating to a attempted rape slash murder, and that kind of juxtaposition of, of sex and violence is is quite potent, and that's why it went to the 18 category. Put it like that, that does make sense. I have to say, I mean, uh, when I watched Stoker, I was expecting it to be more violent, but, you, but you're saying that the, 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 the element of sex and the element of potential underage... It's the, juxtapos- it's the juxtaposition of sex and violence, really, that was the the strongest issue in the film for us in terms of classification. Yeah. So sometimes what we see as well is that the Blu-ray uh, version will get the will be the uncut version and the DVD version will be the cut version. So I think that happened with um, the in-betweeners where the Blu-ray version is the the uncut 18 and the DVD version is a 15. Well, whilst we're talking about a 12A, there were a lot of a lot of tweets about the 12A rating, mm. um, and I think it might be sensible time to kind of for you to address those. Um, At Wondrous Reads wants to know. Do you wish you hadn't bothered with 12A and stuck to 12? Now it just means that small children get taken to older films. At Rob Jack Faye says, consider the potential damage that A can do to someone younger than 12, violence, language, theme, sex, etc. Um, do you think there should be a mandatory age limit for children going to see 12A films? And Dark Knight was one that was raised. What would have made that a 15 rather than a 12A? 
Um, also, why isn't there a twelve A for DVD releases? Just a twelve certificate. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about the the twelve A thing? I mean, somebody else asked um, if you're a film student who's fifteen, you can't see Django Unchained, but if you're you know under twelve and you have an adult, you can see any twelve A film. Is that fair? And, and does that make sense? Yeah. On the Django Unchained point, I mean. Um, I'll, I'll answer all those, and if I forget to answer any of them, because they're quite a lot, yeah. just, just <laughs> yeah, remind yeah. me, and I, and I will answer them. On the Django and Chain point, um, this is an issue that comes up from time to time about sort of mediated viewing as part of, um, you know, A-level studies, for example, uh, of, of films. And there are some 18 films that uh, A-level students study, and they may be under 18 when they when they study them at school. Now, our, we, we classify for viewing in the home, and a mediated experience in a classroom, in an educational context with the teacher, is, is a different experience. So there may be certain circumstances, well, there are certain circumstances in which, you know, it's it's okay for uh, someone underage to watch. But you can't go to the cinema. No, you can't go to cinema, and you can't buy it on DVD, but that's a different context. This is, this is an educational context. So we know that schools do it. Um, as long as schools get the permission of parents and usually the permission of governors and things like that, then that's, that's okay. So 12A. We introduced 12A uh, just over 10 years ago. And this was in, in response to a certain amount of demand from the public. And we, we ran a pilot scheme in Norwich, of all places. Um, and uh, so, so it, was a, it was an early version of the 12A. And after, at the end of the pilot scheme and during the pilot scheme, we asked... Uh, the people of Norwich, is it helpful to have a 12A? Would they like to be able to take their 10-year-old or their 11-year-old to see a 12A film? Uh, and if we provide uh, you know, fairly detailed information as to what's in the film to help parents make that decision, would that be would that be a good thing? And the overwhelming response from the pilot project was, yes, we, we want it. Um, distributors also like it because it means they get more bums on seats. When we classify a film at 12A, what we are saying is we do not think it is suitable for anyone under the age of 12. That's the bottom line. However, this is and this we are talking about sort of an average twelve-year-old. It may be parents know their twelve-year-olds and their ten-year-olds and their eleven, you know, nine-year-olds better than we do, and they know what they can cope with. So, we provide fairly detailed information called Insight, which you can find on our app and you can find on our website, which gives parents uh, a pretty clear idea of what's in a film. And, and we've responded, we've, we've changed insight as parents have said, but well, we want to know, you know what, what swear words they use and this kind of thing. So we include all this information based on feedback from parents that helps them make this decision. So um, that's, that's how the 12A works. Now, we do occasionally hear of you know, very young kids running, a, running amok in cinemas you know, because they're not engaging with the film. That's an issue for cinemas, really, rather than us. But our bottom line is we think it's suitable for 12s and above but you, oh, parents, know your children better than we do, so we'll give you this information to help you make that, make that choice. One of my favourite tweets is from at a fond farewell who says, when I was six, I saw Terminator 3 because it was 12A and my dad's irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> Should it be more controlled? I guess you've, you've sort of answered that, that it, it, there's a point where the BBFC's role finishes and the parents' yeah, role begins, exactly. and that's where 12A is. We want to give parents as much information as, as we can to help them make an informed choice, and then it's up to them. But a 15A... Yeah, 15A, it's never, it's not been an issue that's been raised with us. People haven't, you know, we don't feel as though there's a strong public demand out there for a 15A rating. Um, Ireland introduced a 15A rating and then immediately had to introduce a new rating, a 16. Um, so... We're not, the public's not saying, you know, please give us a 15A rating and distributors aren't saying give us a 15A rating. Um, 
so we're not, uh, we've got no plans to introduce it. There was a follow-up question here. Should there be a mandatory age limit for children going to see a 12A film? So no one under the age of 8 should see it, but anything between 8 and, eight and 12, it's conceivable. Because conceivably, you could bring in your 5-year-old. Yeah. I th- there's a certain logic to that. However, our view is that a 12, 12A is suitable for 12s and above. Mm. So if we said it's suitable for 12s above, but if you're 8, it's okay... Yeah. Then we're, we're kind of diluting what, what the, the message we're trying to get across to parents. So I can see why someone would suggest that, but then there's a counter-argument. So we, we, we're not planning to um, suggest a, a lower age. For instance, I mean, when we classify film PG, that, that is, we, we believe a PG film is suitable for eight-year-olds and above. So it could blur the line between 12A and PG and just cause parental confusion. So... We're going to stick uh, with, with 12. <laughs> so Tom Hopkins, at Tom Hopkins 9, asks, why was Gremlins a 15? Gremlins is a 12A. It was a 15 when it was originally passed in 1984 uh, because there was no 12 rating back then. It was a choice between PG and 15. And there are sufficient horror tropes in the film, I think, to justify, you know, to, to point to a 15. In fact, we've... Um, we have a, on our website, there's a ser- series called From the Archive, where we've opened up our files on films from the past. And around last Christmas, so just three or four months ago, because it is a great Christmas film, Gremlins, we opened up the file for Gremlins so you can see the original examiner's reports back from 1984 on why it's a 15 and not a PG. So that's a, that may be of interest to your, to your listener, but uh, yeah, now it's 12, 12A. How does it work when you come to re-evaluating films? Is it because they've been revamped or re-released on DVD and Blu-ray? And if so, does we we all know, let, let's be honest, that sometimes DVDs get re-released with new packaging and it's the same old DVD and it's all spruced up. Do they just go, come on, BBFC, look, it's the same old stuff, we're just putting a new wrapper on it. Do you rewatch it, or do you have to rewatch it every time it gets re-released? <laughs> we d- we don't. If if when we give a when we give a video classification of the Video Recordings Act, that's a legal act, and that rating attaches to that film in perpetuity. So new packaging would make no difference. If 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 the film is changed in some way, then we um, we we can give it a different different rating. Um, so if if you had a film, so if you if you had a film and say any, any a generic film that's fifteen and you wanted a twelve rating now for DVD, what you could do is submit it as part of a wider package. So if you put in DVD extras, and so it's a different, so it's a, legally it's a different work. So it's not just the film from A to B; it's a film from A to B, perhaps with a trailer put on at the end or something like that. Then then we and, that, and you ask us to look at it and give a, an overall classification. Then it's a different work, and we can give a different rating. But that's that's a, that's a technicality really. But we films do get different ratings now compared to what they did 20 30 40 years ago um and that in part well it, it reflects changes in public attitudes and sensibilities so we started consulting the public back in 1999 and we came up with our first set of guidelines which you'll find on our website in 2000 and these guidelines and we're now in the, th- the third version we get back to the fourth version later this year uh, show what the public thinks is acceptable at different categories. And what the public thinks is, is acceptable has changed over the years. You might think the public's become much more liberal generally, but there are issues where there's, there's greater concern than there was sort of 15, 20 years ago. And you think of things like racism and discrimination more generally. There's much more awareness and concern about depictions of racism and other, other discrimination in films. There's much more concern about uh, issues such as knife crime, uh, drug misuse than there was... 15, 20 years ago, at least that's what 
you know the public tells us when we do this research so we haven't just become you know more and more liberal in some areas because the public's asked us to we, we we've become stricter so although most films if you look at a trend if if, if the rating has changed and it's come down some have gone up mm. so jaws for instance is a film that was a pg and now is a 12 another question here was one was about whatever happened to baby jane rating 18 in the 80s and one was Salo 120 days of sodom um one has changed drastically in the interim I suppose they both have changed drastically actually in terms of classification because Salo was refused a classification back in the in the 70s. Salo was first shown at a private Soho members club in Old Compton Street, so just around the corner, back in uh, 1977. And it was raided by the police and the owners of the club were threatened with prosecution for showing a film that was uh, indecent. Now back in, in 76, 77... Um, if, if, if there was a chance a film could be uh, found indecent, it could be seized by the police. And there's no defence, unlike obscenity, there's no defence of um, uh, cultural merit or artistic merit. And if any part of the film is considered by a court to be indecent, then the entire film is considered to be indecent. Now, James Furman at the time um, really wanted to pass this film without any cuts, but was unable to because of the law over gross indecency. Um, he campaigned for the Obscene Publications Act to apply to films, which it didn't at the time. And the, the Obscene Publications Act gives the defence of our, our artistic and cultural um, in, integrity and relevance and importance. Um, and when, once the law was changed, the BBFC passed the film with, uh, for theatrical release with a number of cuts. And it was, it, was, it was out in that version for many, many years. Now, uh, when we did our first public consultation back in 1999... Um, the public told us that perhaps we should be less concerned by this sort of content than we were. And on the basis of, of, of that research and the new set of guidelines, in 2000 we passed the film uncut for its uh, DVD release. So it's a fairly convoluted story. If people want to know more, there's a case study on our website. If you go to the BBFC website, you'll see a, a banner along the top that says case studies. And uh, Salo is one of the films where there's quite an in-depth report of its convoluted classification history. And what would have made Baby Jane an 18? Baby Jane was classified X, which was 18 back in 1962, uh, with three cuts. Um, well, the, we, we recommended three cuts. John Trevelyan had, had said that we need, we need to make three cuts. Um, Warner Brothers challenged one of the cuts and said, OK, can we have the, the sequence in, involving a rat being served to, um, mm. to one of the characters? Um, and so it was passed with two cuts. Then it came in in 1984, <clears throat> just after the Video Recordings Act had come into force and immediately after this great moral panic about video nasties and what are our children watching and it's all so horrible and dangerous so that was the political climate at the time so the film came in uncut and we passed it 18 uncut um, it would have been you know you could have argued for 15 at the time uh, it, it would have been difficult to have gone for the 15 in the end because um it was a stronger version than the version that had been passed X uh, at a time of, of, you know, not exactly moral, well, moral panic, you know, people talk about moral panic at the, in, in the early 80s. So um, the BBC concluded that 18 was probably the, uh, the most logical category. Uh, so it was passed 18, uncut in 84, and it, it remained at that category for many years. When it came in subsequently for classification, uh, it's 12, and it sits comfortably at 12 these days. 
The Hunger Games, for me, mm. is another one where people have been discussing quite a lot about it. When you have Bruce Willis running around with a big gun and he's he's obviously an adult shooting baddos who are also adults, that's one thing. But when you have The Hunger Games, which is people who are around about the 12A age group brutally killing each other to survive, mm. was that one of those movies where you had four people watching it? What was the what was the process of that? We had more than four people watching The Hunger Games. Yeah, I mean, we knew when it came in that it was an extremely popular book with sort of 10 to 14 year olds um, so we knew that there was it was a known quantity in a sense it wasn't something that was going to catch people completely unawares and we know from our we discussed it with other classification bodies as well in different parts of the world and this was an issue that you know they they, they um, were aware of as well um, so it came in for advice uh, in two different versions and we told them uh, when we saw it that it's a, a in its present state, it was a 15. They were very keen to get a 12A, and we advised them what they needed to cut down, and they made some changes, and that was seen by another team. Uh, uh, we didn't feel as though those changes went quite far enough, and we asked them to make some further changes. So what the changes we, we asked them to make were to remove some of the sort of gory close-ups of injuries, um, to tone down the cornucopia scene at the beginning of the games where the children sort of rushing to get the uh, mm. to get the weapons there's you know quite a lot of blood splashes in the uncut version we said you know that that really needs to be toned down we felt thematically um, because it was a known quantity it, it, so we felt thematically that it's not dissimilar to Lord of the Flies arguably less problematic than Lord of the Flies because in Lord of the Flies which was past the, the original version is past PG these are kids that go feral through their own free will whereas in the hunger games the good characters try to avoid killing anyone and they uh, you know they are restrained and the, and, and the children are forced to kill each other in order to survive it's not their it's not they don't kill through free will and their own free choice and we did get some complaints around 40 45 complaints with people saying you should have given this um, a either saying you should have given this a 15 or from fans of the book saying you shouldn't have cut it to give them a 12A but then they wouldn't have been able to watch it had, had we not cut it um, and as part of the public consultation that we're doing this year for the next guidelines we're asking people uh, about the Hunger Games specifically it's one of the films that we placed with households around the UK and we, fo we did focus groups on issues raised in the Hunger Games to see what the public felt did we get this one right did they think it's appropriate at 12A? And we will get the results of that later in the year. So fingers, fingers crossed that the public agreed with us that it's, a, that it's a 12A. I mean, you might say, well, in this film, it's implicit that what's happening on screen is wrong. And, and the book is categorical on that. You know, mm. this, is a, this is a nightmare world that, she's, that Suzanne Collins has created and the film creates and mm. depicts. So in that context, the violence is, is in a broader context of clearly it's, it's wrongness yes. being depicted. But children maybe don't know that. And parents might say, well, that's an adult perspective to, to impose upon this film because the kids will just be watching the violence and they're perhaps not aware of the broader sort of um, moral kind of framework, perhaps. I think 12-year-olds probably are aware of the broader framework. But again, we, we did actually... Uh, discussed this film with uh, teenagers it wasn't just their parents with teenagers it'll be interesting to see what they come back with but but by and large you know that they are fans of the books and they know the, 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 those that have written to us they know the books they know they know that violence is is bad in the books and in the film and we, we think that that uh, the viewers have got the message and from my perspective and this is just my opinion you don't go and watch the hunger games 
and are surprised that there are deaths and murders and that there there is a, a vicious fight between these group of children. It's not like, for example, if I were to watch Stoker, for example, I wouldn't necessarily expect that particular melange of, of sex and violence. Mm. I just know that it's going to be an 18, if mm. that makes any sense. I think yeah. with The Hunger Games, you people go in, will. you know people will kill each yeah. other. Mm. And if you really want to see you know, a violent film with children, Pan's Labyrinth is... Is is an eighteen? Yeah. Is that an eighteen it's or a 15. fifteen? Pantone right. 15. Okay. Well, the other one people compared it to was uh, the Japanese Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Yeah. It's very different to Battle Royale. It's very different, though. God knows we deal with enough comments comparing the two. So <laughs> there you go. Violence is bad. Um, is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it certainly is. You've got to check. You the PBFC, then, yeah. Just checking my notes here. Hang on. Yes, it is. Um, the few, there's a few other sort of more miscellaneous questions I mm-hmm. wanted to, to run past you. One is from Gareth Evans, who tweeted in, the director of The Raid, of course. Um, and he wondered, this is a question about about your fee structure. And I think you have a flat rate fee, don't you, for DVD releases and for theatrical releases by by the hour, by the minute, by the runtime. And he wants to know, is it possible to have a new pricing system for independent filmmakers who maybe don't have the same financial clout to look to who are self-distributing their films. Yeah, yeah, we've we've looked at this issue quite hard. I mean, we, as 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 as, as the director says, we we classify films based on the runtime of the film because that's how long it you know that reflects the amount of work we need to put in to classify a film. Uh, we um, introduced a discount last year for uh, DVD versions of films that have already been classified. So there's a a twenty five percent discount. Uh, we've also offered a 50% discount, provided, this, again, this is fairly technical, we are required by law to keep an archive copy of everything we classify under the Video Recordings Act because we're required to produce evidence in court if there's a prosecution of someone selling underage videos or selling videos to underage viewers or selling un- unrated videos. So we have to keep an archive copy. And we've said to distributors, if you can give us, at the moment of theatrical release, a copy for our VRA archive, we can do it at the same time. So... That's that's an offer on the table, and we're discussing with the industry how, if and how we can that can be implemented. We've looked at um, a sliding scale of fees, and we did some research with our um, with twenty of our biggest customers uh, at the end of last year, asking them do they think a sliding scale would be a good idea, and the answer came back: it sounds like a good idea in principle, but no, we're not in favour. We've we've spoken to the government about it and said you know in pr- in principle we you know we don't mind as we're a not for profit body and as long as we cover our costs if someone's getting a discount at one end it means that the you know the avatars of this world are going to have to pay a bit more at the top end um, and the government has said that sounds fine but you need to make sure that all your stakeholders are lined up behind it you know the big distributors the small distributors everyone's lined up behind it um, because we have to consult the government in any cha- over any change in our fee structure. Um, and it's clear that the industry is very divided, and as long as the industry is divided, we can't um, we can't in- impose it, yeah. in- introduce such a scheme. We'd be happy to, but it's it's not our call. It's, I mean, it is challenging. We had someone on the podcast recently, Shane Carruth, who directed whose first film, Primer, I think cost eight thousand dollars. Now, mm. that would it was I think seventy minutes long, but that's what about a thousand or so pounds. Yeah, that's the guy substantial well, chunk. We, of- um, yeah, we charge it's for for. A f- theatrical release it's £7 a minute and for a, a DVD release it's £6 a minute uh, which reflects our costs I mean we, we also classify films for, for distribution online and our fees are much much lower I was uh, going to ask you about that yeah. how, how does this work in terms of Netflix because I'm calling it now TV and DVD and film as we know it will change irrevocably over the next five years mm. the way we consume media 
if it has not already changed irrevocably, is going, right? That's gone. How does Netflix work when it's released as a all-in-one-go TV show or as an individual one-shot film? How does that work with the BBFC? How are you charging them? And how do you approach these things differently as you would sure, TV or sure. film? If it's a film, if Netflix are uh, 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 distributing a film that's already been classified, then it already has a rating, so that rating applies. If it's original content like Hemlock Grove or um, House of Cards, what Netflix do is what Netflix have done is they've they've come to us and they've asked us to classify these. Uh, episodes of you know the entire series, and there's more content coming as well. And Netflix aren't the only ones. There's other companies that are re- Amazon and yeah, all sorts of original content which is being distributed on- online only. So uh, we classify it in the regular way. We have an examiner sit down, watch each episode. Each episode gets a rating and it gets insight, which is content advice. And um, the overall series can get a rating if they want that as well. And um, Netflix have a parental controls page, so they set their filters to reflect the BBFC ratings. So, yeah, it's basically classified in the same way. It's a lot cheaper because it's a, it's a voluntary self-regulatory scheme. There's no statute backing it up. So we are not required to present evidence in court. Uh, we're not required to keep a statutory archive. So we can, we can get rid of all these sort of legal requirements that don't exist in the online space and give a much, much cheaper, cheaper deal to... Doesn't to- that have to happen sometime soon? That's a question for the government rather than for, for, for me to answer. I mean, what we're doing online with and with some really big uh, aggregators, platforms, really big content providers, is providing what the industry and we know that the public wants because they've told us they want. You know, they they love being able to access films online and access films in different ways. But you know, parents in particular want a guide that can help them go through this potential minefield. And um, you know, we did some research back in 2011, which reflects the views of industry as well, reflects their findings, which is that over 90% of of, of, um, parents with children under 16 want BBFC ratings on online content. Mm. So we've classified, we've given online certificates to about a quarter of a million items of of content. Um, And yeah, it's what the public wants. Industry's happy with this and we did discuss other mod- other classification models within but they said this is what this is what we want and because it's that much cheaper it's it's that much more affordable obviously they would like it even cheaper but although we're not for profit we do have to cover our costs and it is what it is you mentioned the 99.9% of local authorities that just go yep that's what we agree with that's fine when has it not been accepted has norwich if we go back to them norwich. Gone, i'm so sorry maniac is too rich for our blood <laughs> Get out of Dodge. Uh, probably one of the most famous examples was David Cronenberg's crash, which um, we classified 18 without cuts, and which Westminster Council said, no, this is really beyond the pale, and they refused to classify it. So people were unable to watch crash in Westminster. Wait, so they watched it themselves? I don't know if they watched it. They may have watched it. They may have. Sometimes they decide based on a synopsis of the film. It, it depends on the film and it depends on the local authority and, the, and the license, how the licensing committee works. I don't know whether Westminster Council watched it or whether the licensing committee of Westminster Council watched it. But it's, it's sort of an interesting postscript to that is that we had the, for our centenary last year, uh, the BFI organised a film season on the South Bank of controversial films and David Cronenberg's Crash was one of those films. Now that's in Lambeth, so I still don't know. <laughs> so in Westminster I don't think it has been shown uh, subsequently. I think it's still I think it's still banned in Westminster. Yeah, it could be. I mean we had uh, other other examples have been Monty Python's Life of Brian which we classified 15 without cuts but which a number of local authorities 
considered to be blasphemous and therefore they've never been shown in that film's never been shown theatrically in those local authority areas. So if you had a preparatory theatre somewhere in Carlisle say and that happened to be an area where you couldn't show it you still couldn't show that film? Well you'd have to go back to the local authority <laughs> and say look you know this was back in 1984 Life of Brian long long time ago please you know you know things have moved on can we uh, can we can we show it also blasphemy is no longer a uh, um, a legal offence now in England and Wales, whereas it was back in in 1984. So even if they did, well, they can still put requirements. But yeah, it's, it would no longer be. If, even if it was blasphemous, it wouldn't be a legal um, legal offence. Oh, the, the mo- probably the most recent example is um, Shane Meadows. This is England, which we gave an 18 to for very strong racist violence, and uh, Westminster Council. Um, Shane Meadows appealed to Westminster Council. Said, look, you know, we'd like a 15 in Westminster. Can we have one? And uh, Westminster Council did watch the film, and they concluded that uh, there was there were very positive messages there for you know fifteen sixteen year olds about the dangers of gang culture and the dangers of racism, and they, and they felt for we- for the youth in Westminster a fifteen was appropriate, so they overruled us in that case. But this is it's not it's not a problem for the BBFC. We you know we have a very good relationship with local authorities, and we always know that we're acting on their behalf. And you know, it's it's an important element of local democracy in in in, in film classification. So it's it's uh, it's absolutely fine. We don't feel slighted if um, <laughs> local authorities <laughs> give a higher rating or a lower rating to what we gave. Did you have any direct contact with Shane Meadows about that film? Because obviously he was he was kind of unhappy um, with how that you know how that panned out and and not getting his film to the people. I think he kind of thought yeah. that he'd made it for. Yeah. We did have, whether it was with him personally, I cannot recall, but we did have discussions with either the distributor, it may have been with Shane Meadows, I can't, or the, you know, the producers, I can't remember who exactly, but we, there, there were discussions over, could we, could, could, could we pass it 15? I mean, it, we had, there was a similar situation with Ken Loach and the Angel Share last, last yeah. year. Now we've written a piece on the Empire website um, in more detail about the BBFC and, and you talk about that particular example then yeah. but is there a case for like having an actual sort of direct dialogue with filmmakers about these kinds of things because well we do we do we, with, with many filmmakers um, it's not quite as direct as it used to be when James Furman used to go over to uh, LA and recut films with, 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 with Steven Spielberg and recut things but it doesn't it doesn't work like that anymore but we do um, we do talk to um, filmmakers um, a number of you know well-known directors have rung up David Cook the director or one of the presidents to talk about the rating that we've we're proposing to give to a particular film, um, so that that dialogue happens. In fact, I mentioned earlier that we, you know, we have this kind of dialogue with with distributors right from the script stage if they want it. And some, uh, there's a film called Now Is Good, which came out mm. last year. Yes, and it's one of the films that we're actually uh, we've been doing dealing with in, in focus groups. Um, this is about a cancer, a, a girl suffering from yeah, cancer. Uh, uh, yeah, she's got a terminal a terminal illness, and. Uh, uh, the distributor before the film was made as they were writing the script they knew they wanted a 12a rating so they sent the script in for us to us for advice as to would it be if they shot it as as it was on the page would it be okay at 12a and we advised them in this case that it wouldn't and there was a there was a scene in which the young girl takes drugs which was very uncritical of drug use and in the context of the film, it you know you, you need to see the film to understand why she takes drugs. Anyway, in in, in the script, the scripted version, it was uh, it, there was too much detail as to, as to how she took the drugs, and it was too uncritical. So we said that they needed to to make some changes to the script in order to get the twelve A, and they did, and they did get twelve A. But why do you charge so much to pass a DVD commentary? This is from uh, Manic, is what he calls himself, but he's also called at Wobbly Bomb. Good for you. 
This is why smaller UK DVD labels rarely include DVD commentaries now. Is it because of the £6 a minute thing? Yeah, we, we charge uh, we charge the same amount simply because we have to watch it in the same the same way. We can't... Mm. You know, it takes the same amount of time to do it. It's the same amount of work. Mm. So if, if um, a company wants to have a... You know, wants us to classify the um, commentary, then uh, then it is the same amount of work. And the commentaries can have an impact on the classification. One of the uh, Star Wars films, of the, the new one of the new versions, which we passed PG, so it must have been the first or the second. No, it must have been the second, because the third one's a twelve A. Anyway, one of the new Star Wars, the newer, you know, episodes one, two, or three, um, had a an actor's commentary in which there was effing and blinding blood for the place. <laughs> And so we gave it a 15 certificate. They said, oh, no, this is Star Wars. You can't have a 15 certificate. So, so they cut out all the bad language. So they have to go through and then there'll just be a small gap of, well, that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> is it Jar Jar? I don't know. I, it, it's, uh, it, I, I, I've not listened to it myself, but yes, I, I don't know which actor it is, but the, the, apparently in the original version that we've got in, deep in our archives, there was lots Amazing. of bad language. <laughs> um, maybe let's just... Let's just uh, tackle one of the big ones here okay. which is from um ashley at ashley reese wants to know why ban films um and that ties in with another from our friend wobbly bomb who says that do you agree that that the banning films or heavily censoring them makes the, a curious public more inclined to seek them out that's an argument that we hear we do hear from time to time for sure i mean the reason that we um we ban films very rarely. In fact, we haven't banned a film for quite some time now. We didn't ban one last year at all, and it's not a decision we take lightly. But we are required... The, the Board of Classification, as part of its designation by the Secretary of State, is required not to pass anything that is illegal under UK law. So um, if, some, if, if a particular depiction in a film would contravene UK law, we are not allowed to pass it. So, for instance, we have the animal there's an Animals Act of 1937 and under that act it is illegal to uh, to exhibit a film in the UK where an animal was treated cruelly, cruelly goaded to terror or fury so we are required by law to cut that kind of depiction and occasionally we get a film um, that, that does have genuine cruelty towards animals um, I had one film a few years ago where a dog was dangled over the, the uh, the stairwell of a block of flats by its by its neck, and that was a depiction that we felt was, you know, goading an animal to terror or fury. So we, uh, legally, we were obliged to cut it. Things like the Obscene Publications Act, which we talked about in relation to Sarlo, that that has an impact, and it, it tends to be the area of of pornography where we intervene the most because that's where the distributors of porn tend to try and push the boundaries as to, as to what's legal and what's illegal. So We also look at issues of harm. So, for instance, if, if um, there's a depiction of a, of a novel suicide technique, um, we will, we think, we, we will cons often consult the Samaritans and we consult expert adv advice. And, and if, if we think that there's a real, this is a very effective suicide technique that's not very well known and the film has appealed to, under, you know, to underage viewers, to young, to, say, to young impressionable teenagers then we will intervene on harm grounds to to um to, to, to cut that sequence from the film so it's often required where we do ban or intervene with compulsory cuts it's it's usually driven by the law or by real concerns over potential harm to viewers what about actually banning a film and saying that's not coming out is that when you reach an impasse with with a producer or a director and they go we're not cutting it and you go well we're not certifying it then yeah i mean we it it, it is so rare and it 
tends to be sort of depictions of uh, the, the, the last film I can recall that we banned was um, the Bunny Game, which consisted entirely for its running length of a man sort of sexually terrorising and torturing a prostitute, with no kind of no other narrative. That was the entire film. We, we and another another film we banned. I was involved in the classification of consisted of um, just short scenes of women who had been tied up and they're kind of. Uh, whimpering and just vulnerable and just just lying there on the ground tied tied and bound and this kind of thing we again we sought medical advice and is this potentially harmful and could this trigger someone to you know who may be thinking or fancies about this kind of behavior to, to trigger to action and so we we you know we we do we do occasionally get quite challenging works in and we do get um, expert advice so your yeah, banning is something we we undertake very rarely and we take very seriously indeed last question which film are you looking forward to the most this year with your professional hat off with my professional hat off I'm really looking forward to Star Trek um, saw it last night it's good you're going to yeah, enjoy it yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's the one that sort of oh another one I'm a big Formula One fan so I'm looking forward to Rush the James right. Hunt because that's such a fantastic story James Hunt Nicky Lauder in 76 um, so yeah th- off the top of my head without any kind of preparation those are probably the two I'm most looking forward to Wonderful. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Much appreciated.